It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno. I'm Guy Benson. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, February 18th, 2022. I'm Lisa Brady. If they want to win in November, midterm candidates may have to win over COVID moms instead of soccer moms. I do think that there's an awareness on the Democrat side that they have sort of lost the ball, lost control of some of these issues. Whether or not they can get their arms around them in time for their midterms in November is anybody's guess at this point. We're watching. We speak with Fox's Martha McCallum. I'm Chris Foster. The NASCAR Cup Series starts Sunday with the Daytona 500. Everybody comes here with the thought that they can win the race. Everybody comes here with zero points. Everybody comes here thinking that they can win the biggest race of the year, and, and they can. It's, it's feasible, especially with this new car. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The general election isn't until November, but the buildup to the midterms is well underway, with crowded primaries taking shape in multiple states as Republicans try to take back control of Congress. The American people are going to have an opportunity this fall to give a midterm report card on the performance of this all-democratic government. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell outlining a Republican agenda this week. But what Democrats said Thursday in New York at a state nominating convention may be a good indication of how they'll try to keep control. At a time when our nation is deeply and dangerously divided. Hillary Clinton was the keynote speaker. It is one thing to have political disagreements. Those are natural and healthy. But it is an entirely different thing altogether to lose a shared sense of truth, facts, and reality itself. This as President Biden continues his infrastructure tour, highlighting projects funded by the bill he signed last November. We're reinvesting in our economy and in our, and in our people. Reclaiming our leadership and creating millions of jobs for building a better America. Visiting Ohio Thursday for the fourth time as president. Well, I think, you know, A, it's interesting that they've decided to spend time and travel energy and all of that in Ohio. Martha McCallum is the Fox News politics co-anchor and anchor and executive editor of The Story on Fox News Channel. Obviously, when you look ahead in the big political picture, there's a very significant Ohio Senate race coming up. And I think there is an effort to point to the things that are positive and that have been passed. And really, you know, infrastructure is pretty much the only big thing post COVID relief, which is also was also significant that they can point to. One of the things that I find interesting, though, is that this is a one point nine trillion dollar deal of U.S. taxpayer money. And we really haven't seen I'm kind of surprised that the approach on their part isn't to sort of roll out. You know, these are the top five projects which have already begun with your with your tax dollars. And we expect that this airport or this highway will be done in 2025. Or, you know, I think it would be great if they gave some sort of tangible impact on people's lives and explaining what are their priority projects and what's the time frame for them. Because too often we just see money that gets spent in Washington and gets voted on and they don't really hear much about it. You know, they don't really see where that money went. So I think that would be a really positive way for them to communicate on that story. And of course, as he was leaving, 
he discussed briefly on his way to Ohio that we are in a very tenuous situation with this Russia-Ukraine border crisis and that he believes that something could happen within days. So he's got a lot on his plate. Yeah, the White House and Democrats like Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer up for re-election this year insist there's a record of accomplishment to run on and that their plans will make things better if they're just allowed to keep going. Is that easier to sell by November? Well, obviously they had, you know, they, they had a lot of hiccups with BBB. And I think there's a lot of reflection probably on all of their parts about whether or not they should have gone at it in a different way because they have such a tight margin in the Senate. Uh, they went for sort of the, the whole enchilada, so to speak, of, of passing BBB and ended up not getting across the finish line because they didn't have uh, Senators Manchin and Cinema. So um, and breaking up those deals into smaller pieces, um, you know, price controls on on drugs, all that kind of stuff seems to be the way they're going now. Although then they're faced with the difficult prospect that they can't really do that with reconciliation. They've got to get two thirds of the Senate. So they're really in a, in a tough spot because they have such slim margins. And I think one of the biggest things that uh, they have to be thinking about now, and I, and I just wonder how deeply they're thinking about making changes on this is just that he was elected as a moderate president, someone who would bring calm, you know, sort of end the chaos that's uh, surrounded uh, many parts of the prior administration. But what they did was they came in and reversed everything that was done by the prior administration, including Keystone and a number of other things that were working in terms of, you know, the goals that, that were set for them and energy independence and all of that and tax cuts and tax reform, those things that were all seen as uh, seen as positives on the Republican side for the Trump administration um, and reversed them. So, you know, they, they find themselves in a really difficult situation in terms of passing anything because they have gone so far to the progressive side of their constituency and they sort of cut off at the knees the ability to work with Republicans. So it, it's a bind to be sure. And, you know, that's why we find it fascinating to cover every day to see, you know, how they might pivot and how they might be able to turn that around. Mm-hmm. Well, Republicans in the meantime appear to be capitalizing on the millions of parents who are angry about school mask mandates, especially. Um, you know, is that still going to be an issue in the fall? And could there be a lot of crossover voters on issues like masking in schools? Well, I think that's certainly a huge story to watch. You know, we remember the Reagan Democrats. We remember the security moms, the soccer moms. And in every election, there's always this group of independent voters uh, who may, you know, align themselves more with the Republican side or the Democrat side. But they move based on what's going on in the country. And it's interesting, these DCC polling data that leaked the other day, said that Democrats that they had polled said that they found their own party to be preachy and judgmental and that the Republican side was capitalizing very effectively on culture issues like CRT and defund police and COVID issues, uh, masking in schools, all of that. Um, So the Republicans seem to be they seem to have better game where those things are concerned right now. And I think there is a wake up call underway on the Democrat side that uh, a lot of that they've missed the mark on a lot of these things. But I do think that there's an awareness on the Democrat side that they have sort of lost control of some of these issues, whether or not they can get their arms around them in time for their midterms in November is anybody's guess at this point. We're watching. 
And that's on top of the other issues that Republicans have been highlighting, like high inflation, um, which Mm -hmm. the poll show is is on a lot of people's minds. One of the narratives from many Democrats, though, is voting rights and linking that to the Capitol riot and trying to make the case that democracy remains under attack on some level. Could that argument make support for President Trump or from President Trump in any of these midterm races a liability for Republican candidates? Well, it remains to be seen, but what we're seeing is that voting rights issues are not really what's top of mind with voters. It's not resonating the way that um, all of that sort of alarmist language might suggest. So at this point, I would say no. You know, I think people are pretty reasonable when they look at what's going on. When they think about something like bringing your ID to vote, they don't really see that as Jim Crow 2.0, especially when you live in a world where you have to show your vax card to get in the door of a restaurant. You know, I think people sort of say, look, an appropriate form of ID is not egregious. It is not undercutting anyone's right to vote. So I think the argument, you know, as passionate as it is and as, you know, deeply held, and I, I'm sure sincerely held on the part of many people, it doesn't seem to be pulling a lot of weight with a majority of, of the American public at this point. What Democrats are facing with President Biden in terms of his poll numbers potentially weighing them down, how does that compare to what Republicans face with Trump, who who has had a pretty good track record of endorsing candidates over the years, for instance, but of course has had some poll trouble of his own historically. You know, I'm just wondering, is the division in the Democrat Party easier to overcome than in the Republican Party if it's less about personality and more about plans and priorities? I mean, that's a great question, and it cuts both ways. You know, generally speaking, historically speaking, when you have a president who is in that 40 percent range, you're going to have a tough time getting your party to maintain their majorities in the midterm elections. So that is clearly an issue for Biden. I think there are a couple of factors that could improve his numbers between now and November if COVID continues to decline. I saw a poll recently that COVID ranked around 10% in terms of people's concerns. 27% saw inflation as the most urgent issue. So if COVID continues to wane, and we all certainly hope it does, that turns into something that does not weigh on the Biden presidency right now. If you see any improvement in inflation, you know that's something that they'll be able to point to to maybe improve some of those numbers. If the Russia-Ukraine situation resolves itself in a way that the Biden administration can take a bit of credit for, that's also uh, a potential plus in pulling their numbers back. On the Trump side, I mean, it's been in the 30 percent range over the course of Trump's presidency and beyond in terms of people who tend to align with him. So these candidates are going to have to find a way to get that 30 percent of voters to to turn out for them. And we see it happening already in places like Pennsylvania, where you've got an interesting GOP primary going on between Dave McCormick and Dr. Oz, where they're both trying to curry the favor of those Trump voters and also to present sort of something new and something that's individual in their own candidacy. We're less than nine months to the general election part of the midterms now. Uh, The first round of the Fox News power rankings are out, estimating kind of which races are competitive or not at this point, still early in general. Um, But Georgia is is one that's listed as a toss up that Senate race and the governor's race there could also be reflective of many of the national political debates going on right now. 
Um, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, there are going to be divisions that are brought up in some of these places where, you know, sort of big picture Republicans might say, we really don't need to fight this battle. You know, we should be sort of supporting one candidate. But um but that's not not what's happening. And you look at the toss up races, you've got Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire and that open Pennsylvania race that I just mentioned, where people are going to have to you know, find a way to walk that line between Trump and McConnell or Trump and the future and present present a positive uh, picture for the future. And of course, all of that makes it a, a really fascinating eight, nine months to come. Just one other quick question for you about money, because both parties are raising tremendous amounts of it. Um, And even in an age where, you know, it's easier than ever to get information out there, if you're a candidate, thanks to the Internet and social media, um, the money really still seems to matter. You know, I guess it does and it doesn't. I think that one of the great lessons is going back to the election in 2016 and President Trump won New Hampshire, um, you know, on a pretty small budget. And uh, Jeb Bush had spent millions in New Hampshire and came up really short, barely registered. So I think that a dynamic candidate does not necessarily in this environment, as you point out, with social media and all the other ways to reach voters, require it. But what happens is the money becomes sort of a measure of intensity, a measure of interest on both sides. So, um, you know, money in politics is, is a interesting issue. It does, as I say, measure intensity and interest, but I'm not sure that it necessarily measures outcome. Certainly a busy year ahead. If nothing else, Fox's Martha yeah. McCallum um, also hosted the Untold Story podcast. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Lisa. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. Notice the Great American Race and the Super Bowl of stock car racing. The Daytona 500 was first run in 1959. Since 1982, the race has been opening day for the NASCAR Cup Series. Two of the drivers racing in Florida Sunday, Corey LaJoy and Landon Castle, are driving for Spire Motorsports, one of the smaller, newer teams in the Cup Series. The race airs on the Fox Broadcast Network, and there's a four-part documentary about Spire streaming now on Fox Nation called Road to Daytona, with part three out today and part four debuting next Thursday a few days after the race. I want to be known as Daytona 500 winning Spire Motorsports team. You can't be wrecking, you can't make mistakes. Some of these drivers, they put the helmet on, they forget about everything, they just go and that's it. They don't care if they wreck. We have to be smart about not wrecking and finishing races. And I just, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Daytona International Speedway. It's the biggest race in the world for a reason. And Fox Nation is sponsoring Landon Castle's number 77 car at Daytona. That car is one of NASCAR's new next-gen cars drivers are using this season. I mean, I think there's a lot of different pieces of that puzzle. Um, I think a huge part of it is obviously the fact that now from from first to 40th in the cup field, you have the same product, the same chassis. Kevin Bellacourt's the team's crew chief. Everybody has their own manufacturer. There's going to be Chevy manufacturer body panels and and Toyota and Ford. And and that's going to look different, which is great. It should. Um, But from a competition standpoint for all of us crew chiefs, we all have the same piece to work with now. Um, Whereas before it was just a, 
it was a spending game, right? It was just who could, who had the most people, who had the most support from their manufacturer, who could go spend the most money in the wind tunnel, who could find the most downforce. Now, obviously, the best drivers still drive for the best teams most of the time, and you're going to still see Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott and all those guys run good. That's not going to stop them from being good. But I think what it does is it changes the gap from from first to 40. So now you're going to get to see people like Corey LaJoy, where they've been maybe hindered by their equipment up to this point in their career, be able to go show their talent, showcase their ability yeah. a little bit better. And it's an opportunity to be working in the same box as those guys. And so whoever can find speed the quickest, whoever can find ways to make the car go fast, make their driver happy is going to, is going to excel. Um, obviously the big teams are still gonna be tough. They're going to be good. We're chasing them. Um, they have really smart, obviously really, really smart people, really, really good drivers. But what NASCAR's done with this car is it gives all of us kind of an equal starting point, so to speak for right now in 2022. And it's also a good thing for the owners. Um, they can actually look and know what the, it, it's, it's, it was kind of a limitless expenditure before where you would always have something coming and, and another expenditure coming. And there's some of those things popping up with the next gen car that, that maybe we didn't know, but ideally the way NASCAR has got it planned out is, is the owners can have a good idea of what, what everything's going to cost every year and what it's going to look like. It'd be easier for everybody to budget, easier for everybody to make plans as far as that goes too on the business side. Yeah. I mean, before, like, like you said, part of this, part of the team was the engineering and designing and manufacturing. And that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, and now it just leaves, it puts the sport more on the track, right? I mean, this is your car, you race it, it becomes more about the skill of the driver and the pit crew and not what led up to it in the, you know, the weeks and months before that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it gives us all the same, so to speak, sandbox to be playing in. And, and now it's up to us to go, go make the most speed out of it and, and put the best effort on the racetrack. And like I said, that's not going to be easy. There's still, there's still the big teams are going to be successful. They got really smart people. They got great people over there that are going to pick up stuff and make these cars go fast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to make it, I think great for the fans to watch. It's going to be exciting. The other great thing about the next gen car is it looks so much like the street cars. Um, I love that. I think it looks really cool on the racetrack. It gives people at home that are watching NASCAR races a little bit more, um, you know, similarity. If they've got a, one of the, one of these manufacturer cars sitting in their driveway, it looks a lot more similar. So I think that's good too. Cause I feel like we've gotten away from that a little bit in the last few years in the cup series. Yeah. I mean, it makes it a little, you're right. It makes it a little more fun for viewers. If you're watching IndyCar, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a completely different species than what you're, what you've got in your driveway. But if you've got a Chevy Camaro, um, you can kind of put yourself mentally uh, behind the wheel uh, at, at Daytona. I mean, look, r- racing is one of those things where maybe, especially non-fans might say, well, I can't dunk a basketball, but I know how to drive. What makes cup drivers great? I mean, you don't have to be seven feet tall. You don't have to be super muscular. Um, I, I imagine there's more training mentally and physically than there was years ago, right? Absolutely. It's There's there's a few things, obviously. I mean, there's, there's a, in my opinion, just a, a very, some guys just have a God-given natural ability to do it. Um, and, and, and they're just really, really good at driving vehicles. And, and I mean, I'm going to use Kyle Larson as an example, anything that he gets in, he goes fast. That is not by coincidence. He's just extraordinarily talented. Any one of these guys, the races on Sunday is very, very, very good. There's nobody that's not a good race car driver in the cup series. Um, so, and, and, and attributes that make them, make them good is just a, it's just a skill set. They have an ability to to feel what the car is doing and feel what it needs to do to go fast and be able to control it at a high speed, obviously put themselves in dangerous situations and things that a lot of people just aren't willing to do. Um, and, and that's one attribute that makes them really good. And like you said, from the physical standpoint, all these guys have really stepped up on their, 
um, training and, and a lot of them eat healthy and they're working out every day. I mean, it's, it's a very physical thing to be in a race car for three and a half, four hours on a Sunday afternoon. And I mean, even here at Daytona where it's not going to be super hot, it'll be a lot, but when we get to June, July, August, the summer months, these guys will sweat out eight, nine, 10, 11 pounds during a race. So it's very physical. It's 130, 140 degrees in the cockpit. So imagine sitting in a sauna with a fire suit and a helmet on for, which is three layers thick. So basically a big blanket wrapped around you for four hours and basically just getting water to drink during the day and not, not having anything to eat or anything. It's, it's very physically and mentally demanding. So I think all those between the talent and then the mental and physical toughness to be able to handle what they have to do on a Sunday afternoon to race four or 500 miles is what makes them good. Uh, I mean, NASCAR drivers aren't, you know, just suddenly NASCAR drivers. What, what's the entry into it? Like, I mean, do you have to, is it, necessarily now a rich kid sport i mean is there a, is there a, is there an equivalent of a little league or a pop warner football where kids can be ushered into it i hate to use the term rich kid sport but i mean it's it's just it's a fact of money money is is necessary to make things go so and there's only so many owners that can that can back so many kids you know coming up through the ranks but yes there is there is lower levels um you can go down i mean we can go all the way down to to starting when they're young i mean you got five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids in go-karts at, at small racetracks all over the country learning. And But once you get into the, into the bigger divisions, the ARCA series is kind of really the first series where you get started and you'll see 16, 17-year-old kids in, in that series. And those are full-bodied stock cars. And then they'll work from there um, as they progress into the truck series, which I think a lot, a lot more people are common probably with the truck series. That's kind of our third level series. And that's a great series. It's about 200, 250 mile races, usually about a two hour race all pickup trucks, really, really cool, great racing and a great place for kids to learn. They run on a lot of the tracks that the Cup Series runs, mile and a half, Daytona, Talladega. So that's where they can really get their feet wet at the speed and the size of the track and racing that's going to be like on Saturdays and Sundays. And then the next level below Cup is what we call the Xfinity Series, which is also a series very similar to Cup. Um, it's full-bodied cars that run the same manufacturers as the Cup Series. It's just shorter races, a little bit different horsepower, a little bit different body package but a good place for kids to make the step from the truck series up that would be what we would equate to minor league baseball once they're in the xfinity series generally they're linked up with a bigger team at this point and they're learning to try to get themselves adapted and ready for sunday when a seat opens up because there's only 40 spots on sunday obviously right um are most guys involved in the sport at your level? Did you, I assume you drove growing up, you grew up in Daytona, the 500 is big part of your childhood. Um, did your mom, your mom snuck you in a few times, right? Yes. I, I told that story off the cuff and, and mom's actually driving down here right now. She comes down for the 500. She lives in North Carolina now, um, but she comes down for the 500 every year. So yeah, my mom, my mom did sneak me to the racetrack when we were young. Um, she, uh, she it was it's just one of the things it's just a funny story and i remember it she had a chevy cavalier and the and the ticket price to get in the tunnel was like three times what it was to pay for the ticket just to get into the the pit area when you got inside so she'd put me in the back of the cavalier and as soon as we get through the tunnel i'd pull the little latch out of the trunk and drop the back seat and come in and uh my mom's like the most honest nice person in the world too so i like i feel like i'm painting this horrible picture but but it's kind of a funny story and, and we laugh about it she was mad at me when she found out i told people about it but um but yeah the daytona 500 is huge to me um just i grew up literally if you drive out the tunnel and turn four and drive straight down that road five miles you'd run right into my neighborhood and i was here anytime there was a race car on a racetrack i was here um be it the rolex 24 or any of the nascar events or anything so came over here a lot with my dad too um growing up and, and my mom was big big loved coming over here and i got to spend a lot of time in the infield watching these races and and it's just all i ever wanted to do so every time i come back to daytona it's special 
Um, I've had some special moments here too. I've, I've run good in the truck series as a crew chief and, and had a couple good runs in the Xfinity series, but, but to come back here for the Daytona 500, this is my second one. And it's just, it's so special. It's our super bowl. So yeah. for that to be in my hometown and, and just having all the memories every time I pull back in here, it's, it's really special. Well, it's funny that you call it the Super Bowl. Daytona's the Daytona 500 is a little weird in that it's the marquee event, but it's the start of the season. You know, most sports have their marquee event at the end. I mean, maybe not horse racing if you consider the Kentucky Derby their mar- marquee event. Um, but it is a little bit odd that. Uh, well, I guess it's a, it's also a great celebration of the sport. Like, hey, we're we're kicking off with the with the biggest race of the year. The, way, the best way I explain it to people, it is it's different. Like everything else, the the buildup is to the end of the year, right? The champion and 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 all that stuff, which we have that too in Phoenix. So the cool thing about the Daytona 500 is, like you said, it's our marquee event. But basically, the other 37 races of the year, we basically spend three or four or five days preparing for those races. For the Daytona 500, we spend three months preparing for the Daytona 500. Like we've been working on, we go to California the week after the 500 and Las Vegas and and Phoenix, and those are our next three races. So obviously, we're working on that stuff. We got to be ahead of the game and and ready to go to those racetracks. But since basically, for sure, after Christmas when we came back in January. 85 to 90% of the focus of every one of these race teams is on this race. Everybody comes here with the thought that they can win the race. Everybody comes here with zero points. Everybody comes here thinking that they can win the biggest race of the year and, and they can, it's, it's feasible, especially with this new car. So I think that's what makes it special. And, and not everybody necessarily sees from the outside is that our season is very long. It runs from February to November. There's a lot of races and it's, it's, they're all exciting. They're great races. And we have a huge buildup to the playoffs at the end of the year. And there's eliminations during the playoffs. And we have a great season finale at Phoenix. I thought that was an awesome event last year. It was great to have all the fans back there. And that's a great market to have it. But for this, the, the special, another thing that makes Daytona so special is that we spend so much time preparing just for one race. And you'll watch it on Sunday as, as a guy wrecks or falls out or a guy has something happen or somebody finishes second, loses the lead on the last lap. Like, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's just looks like the guys that lost the Super Bowl last Sunday, right? It's, it, we've prepared two months for this one race and put all our eggs in this basket trying to come win. And, uh, and so that's, I think, another thing that makes it really special. Uh, Kevin Bellacourt, crew chief of the 77 Fox Nation sponsored car this year, Lenny Castle uh, behind the wheel. Corey LaJoy, the other member of the team, running for Spire this uh, on Sunday. Good luck. Have a good uh, have, have a good time, too. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the race. It'll be fun. The car looks awesome, so we're looking forward to uh, getting rolling Sunday. Getting Schooled is a podcast hosted by Fox Nation's Abby Hornacek. Each week, Abby and her expert guests tackle topics we take for granted and help explain the roots and meanings behind them. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. 462 days. That's how long it took a small boat launched in October of 2020 in New Hampshire to be found thousands of miles away. The boat was just six feet long, called the Rye Riptides, and decorated with artwork by students from Rye Junior High School in Rye, New Hampshire. It was equipped with a tracking device, and it had quite the journey before it was found on February 1st by a sixth grader in Norway, more than 8,300 miles from Rye. The boat had lost its hull and keel and was covered in barnacles, but the deck and the cargo were still intact. So what kind of cargo did the kids find when they opened it? 
photos, fall leaves, acorns, and state quarters, to name a few things. The Rye students started working with a Maine nonprofit on the project back in 2018 before setting it out on the Atlantic Ocean, excited about following its path. The GPS went silent for parts of the journey, but the kids kept watch. It came back online during hurricane season in August and September before going dark again. And on January 30th, they learned that the boat had appeared to hit land just west of a small island in Norway. The students in Norway are planning a call with the Rye Junior High students soon. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So the U.S. Customs and Border Protection had over 153,000 migrant encounters at our southern border in January, which is nearly double the year before, which, oh, by the way, was the highest number on record since 1960. Now, this doesn't concern me as much as it should, because the way Biden's governing, pretty soon everybody's going to be running into Mexico. If inflation keeps skyrocketing and crime keeps going up, it's only a matter of time before Mexico's presidential candidates are chanting, build a wall. But all jokes aside, this is a terrible situation for our country, because the border's the front door to our house, and Biden's left it wide open. Normally, you like to know who's coming and going from your house. And you certainly want to lock the door at night to make sure no bad guys swing by. But we're not doing any of that, and it's costing us big time. Folks, the fentanyl flooding our southern border has led to a record level of overdose deaths last year. And as the illegal border crossings go up, the overdose rate's going to climb right with it. Who knows? Maybe Biden wants drugs coming in. Because absent being high, I can't think of any other reason people would vote for him. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fela, weekdays from noon to 3 on the Fox News app and foxnewsradio.com. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download, listen, and be inspired with Lauren Green's Lighthouse Faith. Fox News religion correspondent Lauren Green uses her wealth of stories to take the listener on a unique journey of spiritual discovery. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.